And I think that's what's interesting about being in entrepreneurship is that people will ask you why and you will not have an answer. Coming to you from the studios at Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. This is a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. When my brother was young, he was not what you would call an adventurous eater. And when he and I traveled to Houston to visit our aunt and uncle when we were 15 and 16, we'd never had Mexican food. My brother surveyed the table with dismay, eyeing what he called the red stuff, the green stuff, and the brown stuff with tremendous skepticism, not an ounce of curiosity. I think of that story today because Noob Savang is here to talk about his brainchild, Fudini. Fudini describes its work this way. We use food to create sustainable jobs for immigrant and refugee communities, while at the same time providing epic tastes from around the world for everyone to enjoy. We partner with budding, home-taught chefs from diverse immigrant communities and celebrate their stories, heritage, and cultures through their delicious foods. But how did they get there, and what role does curiosity play in their business model? Here's my hypothesis, based on admittedly limited information. Nupza had an idea about a need, and as an entrepreneur, he got curious about how he could meet that need. He built a team by being curious and attentive to their stories, their experiences, expertise, and insights, and he relies on his customers' curiosity about those stories and the food that their f- folks produce to bring those customers through the door. He's like a poster child for curiosity in business, at least in my head he is. In her article in Harvard Business Review's cover series on curiosity, Harvard Business School professor and researcher Francesca Gino outlines what she calls the business case for curiosity. She says it includes fewer decision errors. When curiosity is triggered, we collect information that helps us avoid confirmation bias or stereotyping, and we're more likely to generate more and better alternative solutions. Curiosity also yields more innovation and positive changes in what she calls both creative and non-creative jobs. That is, regardless of their role in an organization, employees whose curiosity is encouraged are more likely to generate workplace improvements. Gino also finds that curiosity encourages people to put themselves in one another's shoes and reduces conflict between people because they can see the other side. Finally, she finds that team performance is better when there's more open communication. And in her research, groups whose curiosity had been heightened did better than control groups because they shared information more openly and actually listened to one another. So that brings me back to Nutza. I admit to having made a whole lot of assumptions about his work. But based on what I've seen, I think Fudini is like a very good Harvard Business School case study on curiosity. And I'm delighted to have him with me today to test my hypothesis. So welcome, Nutza. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure. So this all started with a craving, didn't it? So tell us about that. Yeah, if uh, if I'm thinking back to 2014, I had actually just moved uh, to Arlington, Roslyn area, to attend grad school at Georgetown. 
Uh, I was coming here for my MBA. And so first time living outside of the Midwest in my entire lifetime. You know, it was great. I was having a great time. But two to three weeks into school, you know, I was just craving like my mom's home cooking. Yeah. Um, so for me, I grew up eating primarily, you know, Southeast Asian food because I'm from the Hmong community, uh, which is an ethnic group from northern Laos. And so my parents and their family came here in the mid-70s uh, after the Vietnam War. So there was also a war, you know, secret war going on in mm-hmm. Laos at the same time. And so when, you know, the war ended, my parents had to leave uh, because the U.S. was actually funding the, the Hmong people to actually fight against the communists. And so given that, everybody had to leave right. uh, or else, you know, face the consequences. And so uh, my, my family resettled in Chicago and... Funny enough, like that's where you can find most of the Hmong people today is in the Midwest. No, and I didn't realize that. Not very used to snow <laughs> and the cold weather. You know, we're coming from jungles and stuff, but you know, we're uh, we've we've made it a, a new home. Uh, a lot of Hmong people in the Twin Cities, like from Minnesota, where I'm from, and so that was my life. Like I grew up eating that. You know, I didn't think anything differently. I didn't think, oh, if one day I didn't have this. Like, would I, would I miss it? Would I crave it? Right. Um, you know, all those things that you don't think about because it's right in front of you. And when I moved here, it was just really tough to find that kind of food. But really what I was craving was like that home-cooked food, yeah. you know, yeah. made, with, made with love, care. That's the kind of stuff I was looking for. And so I was like, well, how do I get that? And I thought, maybe I could find a local auntie or a local grandma in the neighborhood, <laughs> you know, try to figure out how to buy their food. Ask them to make me some, pay for it. Um, so that was for me the first idea of like that's maybe I can get get food that way. And I started to think about how maybe that could be some kind of some type of business, right? And I think what really really kicked it off, you know, the idea of Foodini was being like, well, where would I find this food? And the reality is, there are so many communities here in the U.S. You know that have immigrated here, come here as refugees just so much diversity and they already know how to make that food right. you know they make it every day right right so it's like how do we find and connect with those types of, of chefs uh-huh. um and so really it's looking at internally like looking at my parents stories is coming here as refugees they couldn't speak english very well they didn't have much education um, but one of the things that they could do was cook their native food right and so really fudini is a how much paying how much to my parents creating a space for people like my mom and my dad to be able to earn a living you know being able to support their families doing what they already would know what to do uh and at the same time you know enriching everybody around us with food culture being exposed to new things you know different different tastes different flavors um and that's how it kind of started and it wasn't an overnight thing where i was just like oh this is what we're gonna do um we had yeah, many, so walk me through some yeah. of the evolution of it. Yeah, it's 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 funny to think back, you know, because now, you know, we're we're kind of like going, you know, trying to figure out what what are we going to do next? How are we going to change? What like to look back and to think about how much things have changed already uh-huh. is, uh-huh. Um, I think, humbling in a lot of ways. Yeah, when we first started, the idea of Fudini was actually to just have people cook out of their homes. And have like an online oh, store. Oh, so it wasn't even the, yeah. the kind of cooking community right. that it is So now. it was just oh, like people could cook from their homes and we could, you know, have a delivery, right? But just doing more research in that, uh, especially, you know, talking with my classmates uh, in school, talking to my professors. They were like, well, aren't there, li- aren't there laws around <laughs> cooking food out of your home and selling it? And 
Um, there was just a lot of, you know, s- s- a lot of challenges going that route, especially with if you're trying to um, have this be scalable and have a company that, that does this consistently. It's, it's how do you maintain food quality? How do you maintain consistency? You know, I know this now, but not at the time. When you cook at home, it's different. It's just different, right? Like, yeah. but the you know when you're dealing with people who are paying for the food, they you know they they want to know that when they saw it online or they saw a picture of it, they're like, that's exactly what they're getting, right? right. And I think that's for us to to respect and make sure that we deliver what we're supposed to, right? So there was a lot of challenges in terms of scaling, trying to figure out how do we maintain those things, those standards, um, and I was just trying to figure out well, what do we do then? What, what do we go from there? Uh-huh. And the idea of, you know, now is we have a central kitchen, we order the ingredients, you know, all those things that, that we want to maintain consistency. You know, we work on those things. We have those things in place so that when a chef comes, they know what the standards are. They know what they need to do to be successful. And we try to make it sure that they are successful. Like we want to make sure when, when a chef comes, we put them in a position to be the best that they can. Yeah. Right. So, that's really the idea of the kitchen. And, and I, I was against it for a while because I didn't want to be, I guess, you know, thinking about, I never actually really thought about this, why I didn't like, why I didn't like this idea at first. Um, but I think it was because I didn't consider myself like a restaurant food person. Like I would, I was not like, I was more of a like technology, more of a, just the business aspects of it. Right. But you know, once you have a kitchen, it, you know, all that like stuff goes out the door. <laughs> it's kind of like, where are the onions? Or are we, uh, where's this? Right. Right. So. And beginning to even just sort of beginning to figure out sort of what are the constituent parts of that environment? Yeah. And particularly at scale and in production mode, it's like a whole new, it's not just a new language. It's a whole new rhythm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's a very different cadence. Mm-hmm. It is a operational minute by minute account of what is going on Yeah. versus um, I was, you know, before my previous life, I was an engineer. I worked for 3M as a project, like mechanical engineer. And there was much more, it was a different way of thinking, right? Yeah. Um, it was much more like precise and, you know, looking out ahead versus when you're dealing with food, it's like, What's happening right now? Yes. It's a very right. strict taskmaster, yeah, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that for me was a huge thing. I did not know what to expect. I went into it with zero, you know, restaurant food experience beyond just, you know, being a busboy and being, a, you know, a cashier at my uncle's steakhouse, right? right. So I was very, very uh, new to it. I was very green. And yeah, I can remember one of the, the funny times we were, we had just started was probably like a month into it it was me and chef mem our first chef she, uh-huh. she focuses on lao food thai food you know where we started was we we rented a piece of uh union kitchen which is a you know dc based food incubator mm-hmm. so tons of different businesses are working out of there you know they're renting a certain space so that you know they can begin production kind of get 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 off the ground basically and so you know, I totally fell out of my element. You know, there's people there who know what they're doing. They're like, you know, getting their product out the door. And it's just me and Chef Mem, and it's just us. That's the company at the <laughs> yeah. time, right? So she's cooking. She's telling me what she needs. I'm going to the stores. I'm buying the ingredients. You know, I'm doing the deliveries at night. I'm trying to keep, you know, get a few hours of sleep a night. 
trying to, you know, marketing, finance, all of those things. And it was like maybe eight in the morning, hadn't slept. I was in the kitchen working with Chef Ma'am and she brought over some dessert that needed to be like a rice based uh, sweet dessert, right? Mm-hmm. That you needed to steam it in like a bamboo steamer, right? So she says, hey, can you heat these up in the in the steamer? And I was like, sure. And I go over, right? Take the take the desserts, walk over to the stove. The bamboo steamer is already on the on the on the uh, the stove. It's it's hot. I open up the steamer, look inside. Don't don't you know? Don't pay any attention to what's in there. I just put the uh, the the desserts in there, right? Cover it up. Walk away. I go and do some dishes. Five minutes later, I hear the loudest like scream <laughs> in the kitchen. It's a loud kitchen because there's imagine twenty twenty other businesses yeah. in there working, right? And I'm like, oh gosh, like I know who that is. <laughs> and I went back. I was like, I was like, what happened? She's like, well, you just put the dessert on top of raw meat. Oh no! And I was like, oh my god, I did oh, not even, no. I didn't even see it. Right. Um, and it was just me. I think a factor, two factors, like me being extremely tired and secondly, like not having experience in the kitchen. Well, so that's a great kind of link back to my hypothesis about curiosity in this. I mean, that to me, I hear like you didn't even know what you should be looking for. Yeah. Right. The stuff that you're paying attention to. So so do you buy the hypothesis? I mean, is is yours really a, a case study in curiosity in business? I th- I think so. I mean, when you put it, I never actually really thought about it that way. I was just always set on. I think this is something that's needed, mm-hmm. and let's see what let's see what's uh, what's there. Let's see what we can do, right? Yeah. So I think in that way, it always starts with I think this should be how some how we do something, right? right? That sort of how might I, right? Yeah, okay. and then like yeah. how should I do it? And I think, and especially with like social entrepreneurship, is that. I don't see it so much as this is how you're going to make money or this is how you're going to you know, build something that's scalable. I see it much more as something around this is how I see the world. Mm. This is how I believe the world should be, right? And mm-hmm. I'm, because I believe in it and how I think this this is how I want to shape the world, right? And I think as an entrepreneur, I think it is a very – it's a privilege to be able to do that, to be in a position to feel like – I have the ability to do this and the means to do it uh-huh. because not everybody can. And I wish people, everybody could because I think everybody has really great ideas, really great curiosity, but sometimes they just aren't able to be able to like pursue it, right? right. So so one of the things I like about what you do is it is, it's obviously about the food, but it's as much about the people and the stories behind the food and so you're a business, but at some level you're, you're built on um, a value of empathy, right? Mm-hmm. And a value of sort of becoming acquainted with unfamiliar stories, unfamiliar food. Talk a little bit about how that actually plays out. Because you really, I mean, your website is full of these wonderful stories and these you know, lovely people, you know, kind of talking and reflecting on their own journey and finding themselves at this kitchen. It must be a remarkable place to just hang out. Yeah. So we have a um, really cool group of chefs. We have uh, Chef Majid from Syria, Chef Mina from uh, Iran, and Yibra Lim is from uh, Eritrea, and then Chef Mem 
originally from the United States, but she spent most of her life in Asia, uh, in Laos and in Thailand. Um, so yeah, a really great diverse group of chefs. It's 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 very it's a very different approach, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was an approach I think it was very hard to convey to people when we first oh. when we first started out. Uh-huh. Um, I'm gonna tell you a story that I really don't. I only tell like in person, like if I if it, like you know. <laughs> that's so, so when we started, we were lucky enough. I was lucky enough to be accepted into the Halcyon Incubator, which oh, is sure. in, which is in yeah, Georgetown. Yeah. Yep. So they work on incubating social entrepreneurs, people working on um, climate change, people working on social justice, mm-hmm. all different types of really cool ventures. So we were, I was lucky enough to be accepted into it when we first started, right when we were kind of kicking off Houdini. And so in that program, uh, you have to do pitches, yeah. right? And not just to your friends, but to complete strangers, um, people who are in the industry, people who know what they're doing, people who have tons of experience, some potential investors, right? These are, are very established, experienced people. Yeah, I've seen a couple of those pitches. Yeah. They're impressive. <clears throat> and so... Um, you know, you have three pitches throughout a five-month period. And and I remember the first pitch that we had to do, I was feeling great, you know, like I was accepted in the incubator. You know, I felt like I got this. Like I've been doing this for two years, you know, creating it in grad school, right? I felt super confident. And when I got there, I completely just... I rambled for like ten minutes. Oh no! You know, and it was remember it was only supposed to be a five minute pitch, right? Right, and and rehearsed and rehearsed. <laughs> and oh, I was so what completely, happened? completely unpolished. Uh, um, I oh, finished, okay. and I just felt like, whoa, I don't know what the heck I'm doing, uh, right? So the first question, this gentleman raises his hand. He says, "I have uh, on my phone. I have um, a food delivery app right now that says." I can get ethnic food delivered to me within 30 minutes from 10 different restaurants mm-hmm. right now. Like, why should I order from you? Right. What's different about you? And I was like, I just, in my mind, I was, I was like, nobody has ever asked me that or I've never even thought about that, right? Mm. Because at the time, I was just thinking, I have a great idea. People will just latch onto it. But there are so many things that have already been established, right? People just... Food is food. Uh-huh. I just want to eat something, and I think for us to take a very different approach and saying no, it's not a, it's not just about the food, right? And I think being able to communicate that, like, why is it important that we focus on the people, that we learn about where the food comes from, why is, you know, this dish particular to this person or this culture, you know, what does it mean to them? I think we kind of have taken a step away from that Mm -hmm. you know because we want everything right now you know we want to be satisfied right now we want to eat right now but to actually take time to 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 go through that and so i sat there i just said well these these dishes are made by these chefs (laughs) you know i didn't have a good answer Uh, so the answer Um, didn't it didn't form in that moment this is not a a transformative there was not you went home and thought about it i was (laughs) I went home and I was very, um, I was kind of a little bit like bent out of shape because yeah, I was like, I why is, imagine. why is this, this gentleman asking me this? And I was like, but the reality is I, I, I have to actually thank that, that person because he forced me to, to be able to understand and take the time to learn uh-huh. about why 
you know, why did this gut that I have, this gut feeling, why, why is it important? Yeah. Why should people pay attention? Right. Uh-huh. Um, and so I, for me, that that was that that starting point of understanding why do we focus on the people? Why do we do these things? Why do we look at it to take a different approach? And when you look at it now, for me, the best some of the best meals I've ever had have been at a dinner table with my mom or with my grandma or my aunt. And that's I don't know why, but the food just tastes better. Yeah, you can taste the love. And that. That is what we're trying to bring you yeah. as a customer, right? We want you to experience that moment because it is really special, right? And it's tough to find if you're not at your mom's house or right. something like that, right? right? For me, trying to understand, be able to actually communicate that and understand why that feels so comforting, we focus. I was like, well, let's try this. Let's let's have these little cards that share the story of our chef, right? The picture of them. On the back, we can have the chef write a little note about, you know, what makes this dish special to them, you know, what kind of special ingredients they use, because I think that provides a connection beyond just the food. It is almost uh, a human connection that is being built. Um, and so now it's it's when people ask me that question, I'll say, well, you should probably order from Foodini if you care about, you know, where your food comes from. So when you order from Foodini, you know who's making your food because right now if you go to restaurants anywhere you don't know who's making your food right you can have the chef on the the front of the door but you don't know who's making your food it's definitely not that chef (laughs) um and secondly the dishes that we serve you can't find anywhere else or it will be very difficult um because we do want our chefs to to make what they make what do they make for their family what do they make for their their daughter's birthday party or something like that because that's that's what I grew up on right that's the kind of experience we want to be able to convey and so yeah um, so that's interesting because it's like an embodiment of the the Toyota five whys where you ask why five times it's like well why would you want this food mm -hmm. well because it's great well why is it great because it's made by people who care well why do they care who are those people you know you sort of drill down and you get to the heart of what resonates, mm. what distinguishes your company. Yeah, and I think that's what's interesting about being in being in entrepreneurship is that people will ask you why, mm-hmm. and you will not have an answer. That's that moment where you say, well, "Maybe I should give up, or maybe I should try to figure out if that question needs if I need to figure out that answer to that question." Right? Because when people ask why, they're they could ne- they could be just pulling your chain and wanting to be be mean or maybe they actually care and want you to be to dig deeper and figure out why you know and and I think that's a part of being an entrepreneur is you're going to get asked why every single day you're going to ask yourself why as well right and it's going to be a matter of am I willing to go through the pain and the challenge of figuring out the answer to that why or am I going to say that person doesn't make any sense I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing Or is it, this is too difficult, I don't know what I'm doing anymore, it's not worth it, I should give up. Uh-huh. And that go. happens every day, yeah. for me still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That still happens every day to me, yeah. Cool. So you have to stay curious, I guess is the answer. You have to, <laughs> because, you know, given us being a small company right now is, that's the only thing you have. Mm. That's, that's it. You don't have capital. 
you don't have an army of people that can like do everything you need to do. You have to be willing to, you know, stay active being thinking, well, what if we try this? What if we do it diff- this way? Well, we don't have that resource, but let's try it. Let's try it anyway. Right. Because as, as an early stage entrepreneur, the only thing you have is that and your time. Yeah. Right. So you got to use it to your advantage. Yeah. And so, and plus that you're, if you're small, you're nimble, right? You can move, you can change, you can do some things quickly. So if people want to find you and try Fudini, how can they find you? Yeah, they can go to Fudini.com. That's uh, F-O-O-D-H-I-N-I.com. And you can order online. Um, you can order catering through there. Or if you want to see us in person, you can come to the Whole Foods in Foggy Bottom. And we're uh, serving lunch and dinner there. Uh, every day, Monday through Fridays. And I'm smelling that shawarma waiting for us. <laughs> Just like my mouth is watering. Before I let you go, though, I have this big jar of wannabe analogies. Are you game for this? We reach in, take a slip of paper. You're going to make an analogy to whatever is on that slip of paper, to curiosity. And I'll take one for myself, one for the audience. I'll show you how it goes. And yeah. You can see. All right. Okay. So I have hammer. How is curiosity like a hammer? Um, I think curiosity is like a hammer because a hammer is an essential tool. No home should be without one. And I think life, uh, curiosity is an essential tool of life. No home should be without it. So that's wow. what curiosity is like a hammer. That was great. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I should have went first. I don't want to follow that one. What do you have? There's no wrong answers <laughs> in this. I have a napkin. Oh, how is curiosity like a napkin? It's funny because it's like related to food. Right? I know. You know, it's weird that <laughs> happens. It's so weird that that happens. So I would say a napkin is something that you need to clean up, keep yourself like ready, clean. Mm-hmm. So I think in a lot of ways, um, curiosity is something you need in your life to kind of jumpstart, keep you, you know, revamp yourself right keep things you know fresh um in a way so maybe it's more like a wet nap (laughs) well you know napkin broadly defined (laughs) napkin broadly defined and audience um oh wow we have a definite food thing going on here um how is curiosity like honey let us know facebook twitter hashtag analogy well nope thank you so much for this what a fun conversation yeah thank you for having me it was really fun great You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. If you joined us late or want to catch up with this or any of the other great shows here on Radio Arlington, check us out online and on demand at WERA.FM. You can find all my previous shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook, all at Choose to be Curious, or on my website at ChooseToBeCurious.com. I hope you follow me there and on Twitter at Choose number two, letter B, Curious. Don't forget to send us your honey analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my guest, Noob Savang. Check out links to Fudini as well as Francesca Gino's research on the Facebook page. Our theme music is by Sean Ballack. Research, social media, and our Curiosity to Go segment this week by Carolyn Kish. I hope you'll join us again next time. And until then, choose to be curious. Thanks for listening to this Choose to be Curious classic. Join us again next week for an all-new episode.